Coming up on Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival, we catch up with Fremantle defender Alex Williams and president of the RMIT Redbacks, Sally Tanner. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival, digital radio in Melbourne by the RSN Racing and Sport app and rsn.net.au. Just click on digital radio. This program is also available as a podcast on Thursdays by going to SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts and searching for Women's Australian Rules Football. Plan to get through in today's episode. As we mentioned at the top, we're catching up with Fremantle defender Alex Williams, the president of RMIT Redbacks. Sally Tanner about the RMIT University's new Women's Football Academy and also Coach Kiwi joins us for Coach Kiwi's Kiss of Death. But first, the latest AFLW news. First of all, to the latest injury news and the biggest one coming out of the weekend occurred on Sunday at Casey Fields. Shay Sloan, the sister of Rory Sloan, uh, Melbourne AFLW rookie. She was in a marking contest with Fremantle's Ebony Antonio, came down the wrong way and tore the ACL in her right knee. She is gone for the rest of the season and will now be working towards a comeback in 2020. Amy Smith from GWS uh, dislocated her left elbow in the match against Brisbane. In the game between Collingwood and Geelong uh, Magpies forward Christy Stratton broke her left hand and uh, had surgery on Monday uh, Sophie Alexander of the Pies of course came off the field uh, with concussion, she will need to go through a test to make sure that she is okay to play against uh, Melbourne on Saturday obviously if not she'll have to wait until round three uh, on the cat side of the equation Phoebe McWilliams was a late withdrawal due to a hamstring complaint, she'll go through a fitness test to make sure that she's okay to make her debut in the hoops against uh, the Bulldogs on Saturday at Witten Oval. And uh, club captain Melissa Hickey, of course, didn't get the chance to run out in round one in that historic occasion and lead the Geelong Football Club as she's still trying to work her way back from the ACL injury that she suffered with Melbourne late in the AFLW season last year. Uh, She'll try to pass another fitness test uh, this week and if she's given the okay, she'll make her Geelong debut against the Western Bulldogs. To rising star news and two midfielders have been nominated as the first NAB AFLW Women's Rising Stars for 2019. Nina Morrison of Geelong of course was the number one draft pick overall back in October and uh, GWS's Elise Parker has also been nominated. Looking ahead to the TV games for this weekend, the games on free-to-air TV on the Seven Network are the Collingwood v Melbourne game at 4.45pm local time and the Western Bulldogs versus Geelong match 7 15pm local time, both those games Saturday. Uh, the games that are on Fox Footy include GWS versus North, 7.15pm Friday, uh, that's local time, and the two games on Sunday, 4.05pm local time, Carlton v Adelaide, and 3.05pm local time Fremantle versus the Brisbane Lions. All games, of course, are streamed via the AFL Women's website and the AFLW app. An historic occasion for the Fremantle Dockers on the weekend, scoring their first ever win on the east coast of Australia in the AFLW competition, ending a two-year drought. To mark the occasion, we have got on the line a woman who actually signed first with the GWS Giants in the 2017 season before returning home to Fremantle in 2018. We speak of defender Alex Williams. Alex, thanks very much for joining us here on Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. How did it feel to rack up that round one victory out of Casey Fields? Yeah, we were all very excited, obviously, after the weekend. Um, our first win away from home, which is um, pretty big for all of us. But, yeah, it was a bit exciting. Um, but, yeah, we've reviewed that game now, and so we'll move on and, you know, head to Brisbane this week. We'll come back to that game in just a moment's time, but let's go back to following your footy career. You almost uh, played a decade worth. I believe you first started playing with East Fremantle back in 2010. Yeah, that's right, yeah. So how's the road been with the East Fremantle Sharks to get where we are now at uh, AFLW level? Before we talk about your GWS career, how would you evaluate your first seven years leading into that? Yeah, it was pretty good. It was um, a bit up and down, a few injuries here and there. Um, there was probably a few stages where you kind of don't really know if it's it's worth it. There was no pathway, I guess, guess for us back then. So, you know, with a few small niggling injuries, you didn't know if you were going to keep playing because it was just for social reasons. Um, 
But yeah, East Frio have been amazing um, and we've really built it up over the last few years to become a lot more professional, especially with the AFLW being brought in. Um, so at the moment around East Frio, it's, it's pretty much like an AFLW club. Now, leaning into the 2017 AFLW season, before the first draft happened, a lot of people were speculating at that stage that uh, Frio would be the laydowners there, would be the premiers, because it would almost be like the WA State team. But instead, about a, a dozen of the top players ended up moving interstate all over the place. Sabrina Frederick Traub, Jess Wuchner, for example, to Brisbane, Emma King and Caitlin Edwards off to Collingwood. For yourself, you joined uh, Renee Forth and Emma Swanson making the move across the Nullarbor to GWS. What led you to move to Sydney for your first year? Um, it was just really the opportunity. Um, GWS came to me and spoke to me before anyone else, and they were ready to put, um, you know, ready to have me sign the piece of paper. So for me, it was, you know, you've got a contract sitting in front of you and a good opportunity to move and change things up a little bit, play with a different group of girls, different coaches. Um, so that, to me, was really appealing at the time. Of course, we're in the era of part-time football. So how much of a life disruption was that to, to pick up your life from WA and move across to the East Coast? Yeah, at the time, it, it was a lot. Um, but as I said, I couldn't um, pass up on the opportunity. In my work, we're really supporting with it. And they sorted um, me out on that end over in Sydney. So um, I guess the big thing was moving away from family and friends over in WA. Uh, that was probably the biggest thing for me and probably the hardest part about um, packing up and moving. Did you feel more at home, a bit more comfortable in 2018 when you came back to WA and signed on with Fremantle? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've played with most of the girls at Freo before and, yeah, it really did feel like home coming back and playing there. What's the most noticeable thing that you found uh, in the difference of a style of coaching and I guess uh, background support as well compared to what you got at GWS to what you got at Fremantle? Um, it's all very similar in a sense. Um, all the support from um, both clubs is really, really good um, and they just really love having us around the club. So uh, it wasn't really a massive difference in that. Um, as I said, they're all really supportive for our, our skills at both clubs. Coming into this season, you're now with your third coach. Fremantle had a change of coach, of course, from Michelle Cowan from last year. And, of course, you had Tim Smith when you were at uh, GWS in the first year. How's it been trying to get your head around, I guess, three different coaching philosophies in three years? Yeah, I mean, it's obviously a bit different changing coaches. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's been quite easy for me. Uh, I... I can pick up on coaches quite well and, and what they want. So, um, you know, you just kind of have to adapt to the different game plan that they have um, and just kind of go with it and work on it as best you can. Leading into this match uh, against Melbourne, this is your first one coming back for from, from injury. Can you explain to our audience what the injury was and, and that long road to try and get back to this level? Because I believe it happened about the halfway mark of the WAWFL season. Uh, yeah, so it happened in the first final in the WAWFL um, season. So that was back in August. Um, I just had a bit of an irritation with the tendon in the groin. Um, it was probably a bit of a long, longer recovery than I thought it would be. Um, but yeah, we have we have great um, great physios and support staff down at Frio who were able to get me up in the preseason. Did a lot of building up the strength around it. Um, and, yeah, was able to get out in the park against Melbourne, which was really, really good. And just stepping back quickly through time to, to August, how frustrating was it to be on the sidelines at that stage of the season, considering the run that East Fremantle were about to have and, and take home the league premiership in the WAWFL? Yeah, I mean, at the time, it was really frustrating. Um, I, Like I said, it went a little bit longer than what I thought it would. I was hoping I'd only be out for a couple of weeks, but unfortunately that turned into a couple of months. Um, but yeah, at the time we obviously made it through to the grand final. That was pretty pretty frustrating. But I guess in the whole scheme of things, to be ready for the AFLW season was at the top of my priority list. Um, so that's what I was working towards at that stage. 
Of course, we knew the temperatures were going to be hot at Casey Fields for taking on Melbourne. In fact, the game time had started at 35.4 degrees as we're heading for 39 degrees. What kind of preparation was being done by the uh, conditioning staff beforehand to get you ready to try and go through those extreme conditions? Uh, just your general hydration. We have a lot of, um, you know, the cold towels on the bench. So every time we come off, we put those around um, and just really make sure all the water was up. I guess there's not a lot you can do in terms of, um, you know, preparing for the weather outside hydration and that sort of stuff. The weather is going to be exactly what it is. And I guess with the extended time, it was good for us to, you know, get the fluids up, Gatorade, water and all that stuff. Was there a change at all to um, uh, the timing of coming to the interchange bench? Of course, normally it's just a set time when you're told to come off the ground. Was that increased at all? No, it was just kept the same. We just had our normal normal plan. So you're taking on Melbourne, a team that was star-studded but had lost a few players. Um, what was the challenge like that you're taking on a road team, a very good road team that had just finished short of making the grand final two years in a row as your first task to try and get uh, premiership points on the board? Yeah, we knew it was going to be hard. I mean, we know that, you know, we obviously haven't won a game over East yet. Um, Melbourne are a really good side. Um, but we, we do think that we prepared really well in um, the preseason. Um, we were fit and we were ready. And I guess that's all we could have asked for from the team um, so we were just ready to go and we knew it would be a good challenge and of course it was you know a hard game on the weekend but it was good to get through and get the win at the end. Talking about injuries another player that came back from injury quite famously was Kiara Bowers finally out there playing for Fremantle after uh, so long with that uh, injury I think going back as far as to the original injury in the WAWFL semi-final of 2016 how much does it mean to the club from a morale point of view to have Turbo out there? Yeah, it's great. Um, she's an inspiration to all of us girls, I think. Um, she's so resilient and, you know, to see her on the sidelines has been pretty hard for, for the whole team um, and having her watch on training for the last couple of years. Um, so I think in the last quarter when she, she kicked that goal at the end, I think it inspired all of us to get up and, yeah, go for it. And, yeah, she's just a really great person as well and great to have around at the club. And a big change as well, Ebony Antonio, who spent uh, quite a lot of time down the half-back line, moved up forward. Yeah, so that's obviously a new thing. Um, obviously, Ebony can play pretty much wherever she gets put. Um, it's been really handy for us having her up in the, the forward line, and we seem to cover all right down in the defence without her, and yeah. And talking about uh, a player everyone's hyping up, Sabrina Duffy, she's been coming through the under-18 season. Can you give us an insight into, I guess, her skill that you've seen up front during training and the quality of the under-18s that are now coming through this next generation compared to what you've been playing with since the early 2010s? Yeah, so Sabrina's really good. I love how she goes about her footy. She just goes in, gets the ball and gets it done, which is awesome. Um, watching her train as well, she's like no other. Um, just, yeah, goes in hard. Uh, it's obviously very different to when I used to play under 18s. Um, the quality coming through is really, in, like, really incredible. Um, and the pathway that they have now with the, um, the Australian uh, Academy that they have is really, really good. Um, but, yeah, they're just really outstanding players. Does it feel a little weird that as you're training through this season, you kind of cast one eye over and there's already now an Eagles Academy starting to train and a future rival now just less than 12 months away? Yeah, I guess so. I, guess I haven't really thought about it too much, um, having the Eagles over there, just, just getting through the season here with Frio. And yeah, as I said, I haven't really noticed too much of it, but there's obviously been a bit of talk in WA, um, but yeah. And finally, before we let you go, um, what are you expecting out of the Brisbane Lions as you host them uh, this Sunday from Adel Oval? Yeah, it's obviously going to be a really hard game. I think Brisbane have obviously won the most games out of anyone over the last two seasons. Um, it's going to be a bit of a challenge. They have a really, really good forward line and a good run through the midfield as well. And obviously, they're a very defensive team. I think it will be a good challenge and it will be good to see where we're at with, with our game against um, a team like Brisbane. I'm really excited to get out on the park and, and play them and see how we go. Well, Alex, thanks for joining us here on Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival and we wish you all the very best as you host the Lions this Sunday in round two of the AFLW. No worries. Thank you very much.
RMIT University have had a history in women's football, particularly through the university games and the RMIT Redbacks. Now they're putting further investment into women's football with a brand new facility out there at the RMIT Bandura campus and a new women's football academy. To talk all about it, we've got on the line the president of the RMIT Redbacks in Sally Tanner. Sally, how are you? Great to be here. Thanks for having me, Peter. Great to have you on the line and congratulations on the RMIT Redbacks at signing up to play in the VAFA Women's Competition uh, beginning in 2019, this year. Yeah, it's very exciting times. We've got uh, a great number of students all very, very excited to be, uh, to be a part of it and, um, you know, it's been a, it's been a, a long journey to get here and, uh, and it's really nice to sort of open the doors to the wider community and say, hey, come and, come and play some footy with us. Now, you talk about the long journey. We should point out this won't be the first year of RMIT women's football. Uh, you actually began quite a number of years ago, didn't you, playing in what we call the university games? Yeah, we have, Peter. We've got a, a really long history in university games. In fact, we're the, we're the most successful university in the country in the, uh, the university uh, games world. So, um, yeah, we, we've uh, we've won more premierships at the uh, Australian University Sport uh, National Championships, as they call them now, than any other. And uh, and it's, it's been a great source of pride across the university, uh, our women's footy, for um, for a number of years and uh, quite a few stars have come through and uh, and progressed all the way to AFLW through um, you know their, their time at university, which is which has been just amazing. We're going to talk in a moment about the new women's football academy that you've set up. But just flashing back to those early years for the RMIT Redbacks uh, women's football side, are you amazed how far it's come? Because I'm guessing originally when the side was first started, it was more of a hit and a giggle of a chance for the girls to play footy, a rare opportunity compared to now where we're seeing it as a career path. Yeah, look, it was Peter. It, it was a bit of a um, go out there and have have a kick and have a go and. Um and they, they just, as the sport has, as we've all seen, it, it, um, it has just grown beyond any of our imagination. And, uh, and the girls have just, just loved getting in and, and getting involved. And yeah, look, going back, uh, 10 years or so ago, we, we did just sort of head out there and have a kick and have some fun. And, uh, and before we knew it, we, um, you know, we had names like uh, Lauren Moorcroft and Steph Chiocci and Christina Bernardi and Shay Audley um, coming coming through. And at the time, they were uh, they were students that were gifted um, athletically. And uh, of course, a lot of those all of those names now have, have progressed uh, through to AFLW. So that probably helped us, Peter, become <laughs> the powerhouse that we that we did become through the university game. And it's ironic, isn't it, that uh, those women that you just mentioned, uh, most famously many of us know them playing for Diamond Creek in the old VWFL mm-hmm. and, of course, now going out to their respective AFLW clubs. Um, years ago, they went to RMIT not because of football. It was just a thing they did on the side. They actually went to RMIT to be teachers. That's exactly right. Uh, yes, they, they did, most of them uh, to, to do teaching and... Um yeah, a lot of them sort of came to RMIT. They might have been uh, gifted in another sport and um, and headed down to a friend at Diamond Creek. And, um, you know, they've had a, a tremendous uh, program down there as well and uh, and really sort of brought them along and, and uh, coached them very well and, um, and landed them at AFLW uh, level, which, um, y- you know, is, is incredible, the number that have, have come through. Um, I know one one year... Uh, going back sort of 2012 or so forth, we uh, we were over in Adelaide at the university games, and um, you know we we had the you know Steph Chuchi and Lauren Moorcroft and Shay Audley all sort of uh, floating around on the ground, and uh, and no wonder no one could <laughs> could compete with us because it was uh, it was all one way traffic. And, of course, as you said, many years of successful premierships in the university games. But what actually made RMIT University want to go, okay, we're going to do this full-time. We're, A, going to be starting up an academy, and, B, we're going to be submitting a team into a winter competition, the VAFA, to play a full regular season of programs. 
Yeah, I think Peter, it it um it sort of suddenly dawned on us that we we had something really special at RMIT in terms of what we could uh, provide our students and the wider community in women's footy. We had a the history and the desire to be involved, but but more than that, um, we had a really unique setup in that our our resources, being a university with um, eighty thousand odd students studying across just an enormous amount of different programs. Um, you know, we had a unique setup where uh, we could create a football academy that could actually provide an opportunity for for students on and off the field. So they could come and play if they wanted to be a, a beginner, that's fine. If they want to progress to uh, to VFL level, we're going to help them do that as well. Um, but, but the great, the really unique element, I think, is the the resources that the university offers. And, um, you know, we've got interns across exercise science, um, the health sciences, which is uh, osteopathy, chiropractic, Chinese medicine, myotherapy, psychology, um, and then also the, the media and communications, business administration, marketing, education. So if you can imagine, Peter, a, um, a football club with with just an endless supply of student interns practicing their craft and developing their skills off the field, suddenly we've got something really unique here. Um, and the university's invested very heavily as well in terms of facilities. So, you know, we're very lucky. We've got a, a football ground that is an exact replica of Marvel Stadium surface. Um, and uh, across the road, health sciences clinic, and then uh, within the sports precinct, uh, you know, an athletics track, synthetic fields, indoor courts, gymnasium, biomechanics labs, all this sort of thing. Um, suddenly you start to think, oh, wow, we've got something really special here um, that can really help women's football, and, and it's, it's a broad broad offering uh, to the community as well. So um, we can't wait to get involved in the, uh, in the VAFA as you say, you've got quite an advantage over all of those uh, local clubs that you can walk down the street. Not many of them can talk about sports analytics and business administration and all of that attached to it. Um, let's talk about the coaching staff for a moment. Uh, who have you hired in and what's the philosophy behind that? Is it like having a head coach and let's say, for example, assistant coaches that are interns coming through the university? What's, what's going to be the philosophy around that? Yeah, so we've um, we've put on Mitchell Lower. Um, um, it's his uh, third year of, of coaching at senior level, and he is an exercise science graduate at, at RMIT University. So, um, uh, you know, we we're obviously really looking to provide opportunities off the field, at least for our our students and our alumni. Um, but really exciting to have him supported. Um, by a, a current staff member who's a, a personal trainer um, and a, a, a second assistant coach who's actually a, a current student. So we've got a, a current student, a current staff member and an alumni in the, um, in the coaching panel, which is phenomenal. And, um, you know, that's what we're all about. The, uh, the structure off the field is very much about, um, you know, having, having RMIT students there and, and practicing, you know, practicing their craft and, um, and finding their way in the world. RMIT is, is all about getting ready for life and work. That's our philosophy at RMIT. And uh, I think the academy ticks all the boxes in, in that regard. Let's talk about the pathways because you're an important cog in that, uh, being uh, suburban women's football, but a university as well. Because you're mm. essentially senior women's, uh, let's first of all start at the lower end. Has there been communication, I guess, with uh, football clubs, uh, junior football clubs within the area about those that are underage? And obviously, as they begin to uh, graduate from high school and come through to their university years, about them feeding through to RMIT? Yeah, um, yeah, there has Peter. There's been an enormous amount of interest in, you know, what is it that we're offering, and um, you know, is is there a, a pathway? And um, you know, we, we we consider that, you know, we are really lucky in terms of our resources, and we we have a responsibility to grow the game. Um, and you know, we're we're really keen to sort of assist, um, you know, all players that want to come through and and um, and. You know, be exposed to those sort of resources, a really VFL level um, support, I guess. Um, 
So, yeah, so I think there'll, there'll certainly be strong demand from, from juniors coming through. Um, and, you know, they, they might become RMIT students or they might not. Um, but that's okay. That, you know, they'll get to come on and uh, experience the, uh, the environment. And let's look at the other end of the spectrum with the pathway. That's, of course, uh, those wanting to graduate from RMIT women's football to go up to VFLW, AFLW, etc. Uh, we know, for example, in in the VFL women's competition, there's lists of 40 or so. Not all 40 can play on match day. Those that don't play end up playing for a nominated community club. They'll go down to, again, the VAFA level, Northern Football League level, for right. example. Um, has RMIT started to reach out or make contact with any of the VFLW clubs to be a club of choice for those players that may be on VFLW lists but uh, obviously uh, are not selected to play VFLW that particular weekend. Yeah, yeah, we have, Peter. I mean, um, again, you know, with the, with the resources, obviously, you know, we're an attractive option. Um, you know, we've got a really extensive uh, coaching group, um, that, you know, that can cater for beginners, but also those that, you know, are at that top end. You know, we've, we've put on an acceleration coach, for example. We've got a director of high performance that's going to oversee, um, all of, all of the health sciences and exercise science crew. Um, so yes, yeah, broadly we have, the university does have a partnership with the Essendon Football Club, um, but the academy is certainly open to, um, to, to all all clubs, if, if if there's players dropping back and um and you know they need to develop, um, we are very much about development um, and um, really offering everyone on and off the field um, in a really unique environment the opportunity to be the best they can be. Um, and so um, whatever that is, that's our goal, that's our motto, because really that's a university environment. So we're a little bit unusual um, in, in that sense that, um, you know, that is very much the focus as opposed to um, necessarily uh, the, the score on the scoreboard. And I'm putting you on the spot, but can you give us an idea of the numbers of all those people in the background supporting the players? Like you've mentioned, you've got programs of strength and conditioning, coaching, media communications. We've spoken to Callum O'Connor, sports analytics, osteopath, business admin. Can you give us an idea of, of what numbers is that that are actually the support crew off the field? Yeah, well, we're looking at the moment at about sixty or so, um, and and that's sort of across those those interns, and uh, you know, there's a lot of demand across the university to to start sending um, more and more students through the academy. But we're in our inaugural year, so we've we've got to uh, crawl before we can walk and run, obviously. So, um, but it's it's just um, it really. It gives you a real buzz to see, uh, you know, students that, you know, might be in their third year of media and communication, for example, and they're, you know, they're interviewing players and they're, they're writing articles and so forth. And, um, you know, you've only got to look at our, our social media channels, you know, on the RMIT, WFA, across the Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, um, to get a real sense that, oh, wow, these guys have got, uh, you know, quite a media and communications team um, supporting them. And, um, and obviously the, the lecturers love it as well. Now, I'm going to throw a bit of a, a curveball on this one, but uh, we know that uh, quite a number of universities do have relationships with universities overseas and students coming across to Australia to, uh, to uh, go through their education. Uh, for example, has the Women's Football Academy looked at communicating with colleges overseas for, for example, we've talked about in the AFLW how there's Irish women that are coming over now that have played Gaelic football to transfer to AFLW. Are you looking at the possibility of uh, college-age students from Ireland that may come across and obviously continue their education off the field, but look at using RMIT as an advantage on the field? Yeah, absolutely, Peter. Um, gee, you must have good sources. We we uh, we have been in talk with uh, with the Gaelic uh, Athletic Association Victoria, um, and uh, you know we're really interested in in offering um, our resources. Uh, to, to their players as an as an opportunity to sort of tap in into that and really start to grow some you know cross code uh, learnings and the academy is very excited about that across a number of different sports um, and is and is working you know re- really uh, closely with the university as to opportunities around um, you know what we can learn from one another but certainly in um, 
Gaelic is is one uh, as we know that uh, you know there's some great success stories in uh, in AFL of of uh, Gaelic players coming out and um, really adopting really well to um, Australian rules football and we are looking at it um, and, and we think there's great potential there um, being such a massive university that's that's global um, with, with campuses across the world uh, you know we do have uh, connections obviously uh, right across the world uh, and in, and including in in Ireland. And so, um, yes, there's, there's a connection there and there's uh, all sorts of opportunities for, um, you know, teams to start uh, working together and then uh, crossing over, um, you know, heading off heading off for an excursion-type trip, you know, an exploratory-type trip of, of um, you know, trying a different code and, and learning from their exercise scientists, et cetera. So uh, exciting times. So what's the plan going ahead for the rest of 2019 when it comes to uh, on the field? What are the training sessions looking like coming over the next few months? And when do you anticipate the first practice matches before you head into the official VAFA season? Mm. Well, look, we we recommence uh, the 7th of February, so next Thursday night at 5.45, and we're we're certainly putting the word out that um, you know, we're inviting um, all abilities down, uh, RMIT students and the general community. Um, so we we recommence tra- training. The uh, we're going to do Tuesday and Thursday nights in the run up to the um, the VAFA um, season commencement uh, in the first week of April. Um, practice matches scheduled for for late March, and it, look, it'll be a really exciting moment to. Um, to, to take to that brand new ground out there on uh, the corner of Plenty Road and McKimmy's Road in uh, in Bandura, um, and to see the Redbacks run out onto the ground, uh, you know, will be really really special because, uh, as you said at the, at the start, there we we've always been, um, you know, quite limited to the university games, and this is our first first um, first time entry into a a regular. Uh, competitive comp and um, and you know we've just got uh, there's a real buzz around the university and uh, you know when this concept was launched late last year our vice chancellor um, was absolutely brimming with excitement about it and um, you know we had great great support from the Essendon Football Club CEO Xavier Campbell came along and um, you know they they really are um, you know there is a real buzz about this that this is something really unique so when we do run out onto the ground uh, on the sixth of April out there on our home ground for the first time. It's been redeveloped in front of a brand new uh, change rooms with state-of-the-art lights. Um, you know, it'll be a really significant moment for, for RMIT University and the RMIT Women's Football Academy. So an opportunity to play night football at RMIT. Yeah, absolutely. Night football um, Night football will be very, very special out there, we, we think. Uh, you know, it's We've got a, uh, a resident um, accommodation out there with 300 students living on campus. Um, with uh, you know, this this will be something you know pretty special that they can get involved in, and um, you know to, to have night games out there, um, I think will uh, really offer the the community something um, you know. Uh, quite quite unique out there opposite Uni Hill. Absolutely, and seeing over the last uh, two years in the VAFA women's competition, a number of clubs that do have uh, access to lights uh, playing their women's matches uh, immediately after their men's matches as a twilight game around 5 o'clock, and it has mm. kept the men behind and kept uh, good crowds as well, watching and creating great atmospheres for those respective clubs. Um, just before we let you go, Sally, if people want to be involved in the uh, Women's Football Academy, whether on-field or off-field, uh, where can they find more information? Oh, look, the, the website's the best place to go, Peter, uh, RMIT, WFA, um, and uh, they can find all their information there and, and all the contact details. Um, and I just encourage, encourage them to, to come along and, and try it out and, um, you know, just see where it goes. Well, Sally, thank you very much for joining us here on Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. We wish you all the very best of success with the brand new RMIT University Women's Football Academy. And best of luck uh, come April 6th when you play your opening game in the VAFA Women's Competition. Thanks so much, Peter. Pleasure to be on.
Time now for Coach Kiwi's Kiss of Death. This is where we're joined online by a legend of Sydney women's football, played in excess of 250 games. She was a premiership coach as well. She's moved down to Victoria to be an assistant coach with the Darabin Falcons and also a playing coach with Coburg in the AFL Women's Victoria Master Rules competition. It's great to have on the line Lisa Kiwi Roper. Coach Kiwi, how are you? I am very good, thank you. Apart from I did put the kiss of death on a few teams. <laughs> Two from five in round one was the tipping, but to be fair, there were close results. Let's have a look at your tips game by game. And uh, you got by by the hair of your chinny-chin-chin <laughs> with Geelong 3-6-24, defeating Collingwood by 1.3523. And some might even argue a bit stiff for Collingwood because they actually had to play one player down with early in the game, Sophie Alexander suffering concussion. Well, I don't know if you'd say that because, you know, she's taken out by teammates. So effectively, your own fault. <laughs> But still, one down, one, one, down, one down hurts the rotation. And, of course, you tipped the catch and you got over the line on that one. So congratulations. Um, the big story, of course, coming out of that game is the performance of Nina Morrison, who's probably set herself up early as an early favourite for the uh, NAB AFLW Rising Star. Yeah, I think she had a cracking match. And um, I think she was playing with us at the end of the game just by hitting the... Um, post instead of kicking it through for six. So um, I think we're going to see a lot of really awesome things from that young one. And I guess the pleasing thing for all women's footy followers is uh, about 18,500 people uh, coming to GMHB, GMHBA Stadium, otherwise known as Cadenia Park in Geelong. And what was a, a fairly humid and hot night? Yeah, I thought um, they'd get over the 20,000. So a little disappointing in that. But certainly it's, it looked from, I only got to watch it on TV, but it looked like it had a good atmosphere and um, and the stand looked pretty full all the way around, um, even though there were a few sitting out in the sunshine, which I probably wouldn't advise. It sounded like it was very, very hot. Let's go across to Norwood Oval. You tipped the home side to win and you're a bit stiff because Adelaide kicked one goal, 11 behind, 17 to go down by one point, losing to the Western Bulldogs, 2-6-18, in front of just shy of 8,000 fans at Norwood Oval. Yeah, well, who would have thought you'd have 12 shots at goal and only put one through the big sticks? Um, Adelaide certainly had their chances and there was a lot of other times they didn't even get point for the efforts. Um, I thought they dominated, they brought the ball into that forward 50 enough times and um, at the end of the day if you don't kick the six pointers you're um, going to struggle to get the win and you know that's going to probably um, it possibly come back and bite them later in the season if they um, don't Belton, some big scores. My tip for Rising Star, Chloe Shear kicked the Crows' uh, only goal. And um, uh, it was also uh, good to see the performance of Katie Brennan kicking two goals. As we know, she's been injury-riddled the last two years, and she's uh, back in good form. And the way that she's going, just quietly might be starting to rack up the votes and uh, could be one to be looking at for a league BNF. Yeah, she. Um, I think, yeah, she's got to have the extra freedom now to run around and um, they've got some good midfielders and with Sparky controlling the back line like she did, I thought she was outstanding um, applying the pressure that she did for the Bulldogs. So um, I reckon, yeah, they'll get plenty of ball going forward and Katie Bennett. Katie Brennan will reap the benefits of that. I believe Lawrence Spark actually got maximum votes as well in the Coaches Award. Yes, and apparently she uh, broke the record for most marks in a game, which is no mean feat for somebody from beach volleyball that's used to spoiling the ball, not marking it. Now, before everything that came before us on Sunday, your honest thoughts, Kiwi, after seeing the two games on Saturday night, yes, they were thrilling, yes, they were close, one-point margins. Was there concern as you went to bed on Saturday night of, uh uh-oh, the scoring's gone down? (laughs) Memo gate? Um... Yeah, I kind of, you kind of thought that, you know, both games were really hot conditions. Um, usually the first game out, there's a lot of pressure on the players to really try and um, stake their claim on the field. So it is a lot more hard congested football. And in watching those games, I thought there was just pressure around the ball around the field. 
So um, they were creating opportunities, but where we weren't getting a lot of goals, you've got to take your hats off to some of the defence that came out of the games. And I think people just look at the scoreboard and forget that, you know, if you have an outstanding defender or a bunch of them playing in a match, then the scores are going to be low. So um, I was just hoping that the powers that be would have a bit of patience and not send any memos this year. And um, and I think when you woke up or when you went to bed the next night, it was a whole different other story, wasn't it? Yeah, we certainly got a jolt with the results on Sunday. The first one, of course, was down at North Hobart Oval. Personally, a little disappointed that it wasn't uh, absolutely chock-a-block full. There was a good crowd, but it wasn't uh, packed to the rafters. Um, the Kangaroos, 17-52, easily accounting for Carlton, 2-4-16. Let's first of all look at the positives and look at the Kangaroos win. The big story coming out of that was the fantastic first half from Ash Riddell. Ash, of course, was a player recruited originally out of Fitzroy, went to Diamond Creek, played last year at Melbourne Uni. She was in the team of the year for the VFLW in 2017, got overlooked in that draft, and boy, has she made the recruiters that ignored her in 2017 look like fools. Well, you know, and that's exactly what you do. You just go and work on your craft and come back just so much stronger and... um and, yeah, stand up in the game, and that's that's how you sort of show them that they made the mistake back then. So, yeah, good on them. I thought they kangaroos. I mean, everyone knew they were going to be strong over the part, and it was going to be hard for Carlton, but probably um, probably thought Carlton may have, you know, get, put up a little bit more of a fight. Um, I think they've got a challenge with having Bree Davies in the forward line is they're missing some of what she gave when she was – you know, working out the field and delivering to the forwards. Um, and so, yeah, I think the the Carlton star power with Taylor and Darcy and Bree probably aren't getting enough ball to um, make too much difference on that scoreboard. But, yeah, Kangaroos just looked really fit all over the field and um, a lot of pace as well. Emic- so, yeah, they're looking good. Emma King in all-Australian form in the rocking game one, which is fantastic to see. On the flip side for Carlton, it was left to Madison Press-Parkers, uh, their uh, number one pick to essentially carry the load for them in the midfield. As you pointed out, Bree Davey in the forward line, uh, similar to what she did in the practice match against Geelong that you saw. Is there a feeling that maybe the knee isn't 100% yet and they're kind of still hiding her in the forward line? Yeah, potentially they might be, um, you know, helping her work on her match fitness too. So um, as she builds that, we might see a drop, you know, further up the field. Um, but um, yeah, Maddie, I thought, did did an outstanding job. I think she had the highest possessions for Carlton in the end. And um, alongside Nina, see if Carlton had a higher draft pick, Maddie potentially could have been the number one draft. So, um, you know, she's just a name I think we're going to hear a lot about all season as well. At that stage, you were two from three with your picks, and then came the <laughs> Melbourne Fremantle game. This one, to be fair, was always going to be a little difficult. Fremantle had turned over their list, but Kiara Bowers was back for the first time since, well, doing her ACL um, going back to 2016 in the WAWFL semi-final. The same game Renee Fourth did her ACL. Um, up against a Melbourne side that has lost four players to Geelong and, of course, Stacey Pierce out with the Twins on the way. Um, a seesawing affair. I don't think anyone could have predicted not only the high scoring, but how it would end up in the end. The Dockers nine five fifty nine beating Melbourne eight seven fifty five. Yeah, I think the scoreline was outstanding. Um, I don't think I know. You know, well, I don't think either team is um, known for kicking so many goals, and especially not while well, the other teams <laughs> conceding so many as well. Um, but yeah, I um, I yeah, I think I went for the D's. I thought being at home, I thought they might have had the edge over Fremantle, and I'm pretty sure I said it was going to be about a seven point different or pretty close, I think. Um, but yeah, I think it's 30 months that Kiara has had off from football, which is a real long time, and then to come back and play like she did was just phenomenal. Um, and you know. I'm really stoked to see Fremantle get up and win by 
by a lot of goals, you know, even though the margin was a small amount, just for their own confidence too. I think they've had a couple of tough seasons um, having, you know, really the the quality of player from WA Pilford to all the other clubs when um, AFLW started. So, um, yeah, good for them to get a big result. And finally, Brisbane Lions, 4-5-29, Defeated your GWS Giants 4-3-27. All bow at the church of Jessica Wuchner for we are not worthy. Wuchner <laughs> kicking three goals in an electric performance. Yeah, she was very, very good. Um, and, you know, it was there for Giants. They started the game strong. They they did lose Amy Schmidt early on and probably that affected their rotations through the forward line. But um, I think we just gave too much space to Wushner and um, maybe probably didn't defend on Sabs really well. She had, I think, 13 marks throughout the game and that's just too many to give your key forward. So um, it was there for the Giants and the young ones, the young Elise Parker was outstanding. Um, and um, Hanine probably, she had a pretty good start. She got very, very involved. A uh, few technical um probably areas she needs to perhaps work on. I felt a few times she just dropped her knees too often when she could have just picked up the ball and ran through. So that's just something she gets away with playing local club football and uh, probably needs to break that habit, playing AFLW. Um, and I'm sure that's something they'll be able to work on. But the Irish girls did it extremely well. Cora and Yvonne covered a lot of ground. They came back to the halfback lines, picked the ball up, and it was good to see Yvonne um, pick the first, kick the first goal. And uh, as well, Cora um, uh, dominating with the inside 50 kicks and kicking two goals as well, which is good from my perspective because I tipped Cora Staunton to win the goal kicking this year. And uh, as you said, both Irish women looking in good form. Yeah, I think they worked very well together too. And um, I picked Yvonne Bonner to kick the first goal. So I was glad at that. And then I found out that my friends didn't put money on it. So their loss. They should take my advice for much better. Um, but, yeah, just good Yeah, good to see. I think the cross-coders in um, all the games did very, very well. Shani, I thought, did better than in that game than she did in the practice game. So she's obviously developed quite a bit in those two weeks. Um, probably Sarah Rowe had a bit more of a job in defence for Collingwood than the midfield. I would have played her a little bit more through the midfield is the, the style that I feel she plays. Um, obviously, I'm a different coach to Wayne Seekham. <laughs> um, but Ailish had a really good game for the Crows. So, um, And Frazzle did really well as well. Gosh, she was fantastic for a netballer who um, was a sidestep. So, um, not Frazzle. Yeah. Brazzle. Frazzle. You're, yeah. Go- you're calling Brazzle Frazzle. <laughs> Brazzle Frazzle. That's it. Ash. I'll just stick with Ash. <laughs> Oh, dear. And now that you put it that way, that Yvonne Bonner kicked the first goal and Cora Staunton with two goals, here's a quirky stat for you. The combined goals from the Irishmen are more than the goals kicked by either the Adelaide Crows or Carlton or the Western Bulldogs. Wow, that's... Well, you know, I don't and, think I and, that <laughs> and equal with goals with Geelong and Collingwood. So, so far, the Irish women themselves, if this was a 10-team ladder, would be sitting at the halfway mark of their own boot. <laughs> and I don't think it'll be the only round that that could happen. You know, I think they're going to bang in a lot of goals, and I think there's going to be other games where the scores are very, very close and very small. Let's have a look at round two and let's see if we can improve on your two out of five. We are going to begin with Friday night football at Dremoyne Oval in Sydney, 7.15pm. The GWS Giants taking on the red-hot North Melbourne Tasmanian Kangaroos and they are predicting we could be looking at a lockout. Yes, and a thunderstorm. <laughs> Again! Uh, yeah, the weather is great this week. It's hot through the days, and we've got that coming across the afternoon. So, yes, bring your ponchos and um, leave your umbrellas at home, I would advise. <laughs> um, now, because this is kiss, kiss of Death, I'm going to go north. I really want Giants to win. I think Giants really have to win this week. Um, 
you know, because it's such a short season, you can't drop two games in a row, that's for sure. Um, and North are on fire. I think it's they're going to be extremely hard to stop. So, yeah. Let's have a look at the two games on Saturday. Uh, temperature's going to be about mostly sunny and 23 degrees in Melbourne, so perfect conditions to get to the footy. First of all, for the first time at Victoria Park, the Collingwood AFLW side taking on Melbourne at 4.45pm. Look, that's a, that ground is in fantastic condition and um, I'm sure Collingwood will be stoked to be playing on it. I think um, Dees will come over the top though. I think after last week and how many goals they got, they know how to score. Uh, they'll certainly be able to review their um, videotape to how to stop goals and I think that they'll... Um, They'll beat Collingwood. 7.15pm at VU Oval in West Footscray. Uh, the Western Bulldogs host Geelong. Yeah, now um, we're recording this before confirmation of their um, injured superstars coming back in. So I'm guessing that um, Hickey, Thebes and oh no, Rocky's got two weeks, didn't she? Yes. Rocky's but still with um, Hickey at one end and Phoebe's at the other, is going to bolster that pack and I'm going to go to Geelong. Sunday, 10th of February, Carlton versus the Adelaide Crows at Icon Park. I'm guessing Crows will spend all week in front of the big sticks and they're going to come out and bang in four goals and not let Carlton score. That's four. Sorry, Icon Park. <laughs> That's 4.05 p.m. Uh, Melbourne time. And uh, 6.05 p.m. Uh, Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time, 3.05 p.m. local time. Fremantle versus Brisbane at Fremantle Oval. Yeah, you know, here's um, probably the tricky one of the round. It could go either way. Um, I'm going to go free at home. I think they generate a really good crowd at home and they'll be on a high from how well they've done, and with Kiara back as well. Um, I think they may just get the edge on the that home advantage and the big flight may t- tire the Lions out a little bit. So, yeah, I'll go to the Dockers. Well, Kiwi, thanks again for joining us here on Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. We hope you have a great time there at Dremoyne Oval and the thunderstorm doesn't hit so you don't get rained on again when you watch a Giants game on a Friday night there. And we look forward to catching up with you next week when we review your tips, hopefully better than two out of five, and then we have a look ahead to round three. Excellent. It's been a pleasure. And that concludes Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital channel Carnival for yet another week. Don't forget you can hear this program every Wednesday, 6pm Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time or on Thursday mornings by simply going to SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts and searching for Women's Australian Rules Football. And you can find us on Twitter by going to twitter.com forward slash WARF radio or on Facebook by going to facebook.com forward slash WARF Radio. Until next week, I'm Peter Holden, and spy for now.